Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax. So happy to be here with you once again, wherever you're checking us out on Google, on Apple, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on iHeart, however you get your podcast. Thank you for making GBB Live a part of your Memphis Grizzlies experience. And thank you for hopefully subscribing to the GBB Podcast Network. Uh, you can listen to the Core Four, you can listen to 3 and D, the Starting Five. And then, of course, the long view, which is the podcast of my co-host, Mr. Parker Fleming at Paca underscore Flocka, back with us, back in the saddle. Uh, we did a spaces last week, Parker, and it didn't go. It, it went well. I don't want to say it didn't go well, uh, but I do want to say that I wish Twitter would make it easier to download the content because once I got like in order to get the audio, Parker. I was going to have to go through like all my old tweets and I've almost tweeted 100,000 times. So I don't know that it was worth the squeeze. They need to make downloading spaces easier, Parker. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I'm actually going through that process right now with the spaces that I recorded last. It's not night. great. And if this archive doesn't get done downloading by the time this podcast is over with, I'm just going to cancel it. <laughs> I'm just going to cancel it. I'm and telling you, man, I, will... I didn't even try. And I'll start using the Spotify Green Room app. The Spotify Green Room app, if you actually want to record a podcast, it's infinitely better because it'll send you your recording in like 10 minutes. I like that. So, you know, I might just have that as a spaces thing. You know, if you're on Twitter, you rock with GBB. Yeah. It's for you. But may- maybe I'll talk to you after. Let's get our guests in. Yeah, I'm good. let's get our guests Thank in. you for asking. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. And I'm excited about our show this time around. Uh, we have a great guest new to the show. Uh, to be honest with you, new to me, he reached out to me uh, a, a few days ago, maybe a week ago, and I looked into his work after he reached out. I was very impressed, uh, but we're, we'll talk more about him in a moment. I want to make sure we get to the ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow the blog that I am fortunate enough to be site manager of, that Parker is fortunate enough to be uh, associate editor of, grizzlybearblues.com. Uh, part of the SB Nation uh, blog network for the Memphis Grizzlies at SBN Grizzlies. I mentioned you can follow Parker at Paca underscore Flocka. And if you make the poor choice to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. I'm probably arguing with people about why Ben Simmons is better than Dylan Brooks. Uh, that, that, that's the current thing that you know I want to slam my head through a wall about. But let's get to our guest. Uh, our guest tonight is, or during this recording, I should say, 
Our guest is Mr. Roger Galo at Galo Method on Twitter. He is an NBA offensive efficiency specialist. He is a founder of the Galo Shot Making Method. He's been featured on ESPN Radio, CBS Sports, and Bleacher Report. He does really interesting work, and I'm excited to have him break down four members of the Memphis Grizzlies for us in terms of their offensive efficiency and and whether or not we should be excited and we think this the, the current performance can stick or whether we should be worried about the lack of performance in terms of their offensive production. Again, Mr. Roger Galo, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. So, Mr. Galo, again, you have over 10,000 followers on Twitter, and I noticed you, in terms of followers that we know, uh, we have a lot of shared folks that are pretty knowledgeable about basketball, folks that have been on the podcast before, uh, friends of H of GBB, like uh, uh, Hardwood Proxy. I always mess up that word, paroxysm. Um, HP Basketball, Matt Moore on Twitter. Uh, you know, Shy, Sharon Shy Brown is a friend of ours here, GBB and others. Um, so I noticed that we had a lot of common followers and, fo- and we were following similar people. And like I said, I did more research on your work and I was very impressed. So before we get into our our quartet of discussion for this episode, maybe just give folks kind of a rundown of what you do in your work uh, as that offensive efficiency specialist. Well, Joe, first, please call me Roger. And uh, Roger. thank you for, for giving me this opportunity to do just that. I, uh, in a, I was a ball player, of course, uh, you know, pretty well recruited, about 14 mid-major schools, uh, some legendary coaches, uh, Chuck Daly, uh, Pete Carrill, Jimmy Belvano, Don Haskins uh, came calling. And I ended up playing D3 by choice and uh, kind of dominated, became third leading scorer in the country with, because I was able to shoot the traditional conventional shot way, uh, technique, form, whatever, and uh, very crafty as a scorer. The NBA thought I could possibly play at that level because of that ability. And I was, I'm only six feet which means I'm challenged in the height category for a basketball player. So shooting is, is extremely valuable. <laughs> and we didn't have the three ball back then. So it's even more valuable today, as we all know. We're, we're, we're this, this so conspicuously obvious that everyone knows that on the planet, probably. With that being said, I inadvertently started a decades-long journey questioning why I was so good and what I was doing was it the best that could be done? Uh, could anything have been better for me? And I, I couldn't get the answers I was seeking uh, within the basketball community. So I, being in Philadelphia, I was, I was fortunate in having a lot of universities around me that I wandered into the kinesiology departments, the physics departments, and started picking the brain of sci- scientists. And uh, boy, did they open my eyes. And they opened my eyes to the degree where uh, the book that I'm, I'm hoping to, to finish by, by the end of the year, um, it, it, the title may be Everything You've Ever Learned About Shooting Was Wrong. And I know that sounds pretty, pretty strong and judgmental, and it's not intended to, but it, that, that's what I've been made aware of during the journey. And all of what I've created in the way of the shot-making method now 
is based entirely in principles from those sciences. So is it conceivable? I'd ask your audience and, and, and both of you, is it conceivable that there could be a better way to shoot more accuracy, more consistency, if it were based entirely in science versus just having become an adopted popular way to shoot? Roger, first and foremost, I want to say that I am just thrilled that I am joined by a fellow Division Three athlete. And I did know that. <laughs> I wanted you to talk about it first before you brought it up. That was one of the things I was most pleased with when I was doing my research. You're much more accomplished than me. I played in a few games at uh, Randolph-Macon <laughs> College in Ashland, Virginia. So, uh, oh, but, I yeah. got to play, but I got to play college ball, and I, I get to say that as a – as a high school football coach now, it carries a little bit of weight, not, not a ton, not as much as your record breaking. Um, but at the same time, I thought it was cool that you, you made that choice with a D3 career. And I guess, Roger, my first question for you before we get into the specific Grizzlies is when I've read about your research and the work that you've done, the first name that came to mind, and I'm sure you probably get this a lot, is Steph Curry, right? Like the greatest yeah. shooter in yeah. the history of basketball, not named Roger Galo, uh, <laughs> the greatest shooter in the history of basketball Watching his shot, you know, just kind of as, as a template maybe for us as we go on our journey through the Grizzlies here in a moment. Uh, what, when you look at Steph, what makes him great? What can make him even greater? Because the stories have come out about Steph Curry, you know, measuring, making a three differently, the smaller circumference of the actual rim, not touching any rim, being the only way that it counts as a made shot in his training. So it's not being insulting to Steph Curry. He's actively pursuing a similar path that you are. He, he's just maybe a little bit better at it in terms of the skill. But I'm curious when you look at like the absolute best, what are things that you notice that make them that great? Well, with Steph, it's, it's I think his strong, and by the way, it's one of the discoveries that I happened upon in the journey. I didn't shoot like Steph Curry. I shot like J.J. Uh, Redick, uh, Clay Thompson, uh, Corver, that was my former technique, kind of textbook, traditional shooting. Uh, I think we can agree that Steph isn't exactly that kind of a shooter. Agreed. Uh, there's a more seamlessness to his movement, which is a big part. And, and he's a great example because he represents probably about 7 maybe 10 12% of the discoveries I've made. Uh, in terms of the movements he's executing. And that seamlessness, that fluidity part from toe through all of his entire body to his fingertips, it, it speaks volumes about what he's able to do by, by executing that way. Um, not only is it quick from start to finish, but it's proven to be pretty accurate. And the range is, uh, pretty impressively far out. I think most of us would agree. And my range in my advanced age has been is longer than it was when I was a collegiate player as a result of incorporating that kind of seamlessness. That's really so interesting. That's what he has. That's what he has. Um, coincidentally, there are some other players that have other parts of some of the discoveries I've made. Um, James, uh, James Harden has a percentage of what I've, I've recognized as an efficiency element in the, in the movement. Um, Kevin Durant 
Clay Thompson on a catch and shoot process uh, has a, a few of the the, the movements. Uh, and he made what I've come to learn working and talking to some of these guys uh, is most of them aren't as familiar with their own shooting style or system or form as one might assume that they were, which was interesting. And in reflection, uh, I wasn't either. We get it. We get caught up in that reps, 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 reps mode. Right. And there's almost a mindlessness that kicks in. That's right. And we stop thinking. The muscle memory kind of aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And I'm excited for this conversation, Parker. I don't know about you. Like, once I got a little bit deeper into what Roger does, I think this is going to be really informative stuff. And and I, when I'm taking in basketball content, the thing that I enjoy most in terms of reading and listening to shows, podcasts, whatever, is is where I can learn. Because I am nowhere near you know, knowing of everything by any stretch of the imagination. And nobody is, of course, but, you know, you've forgotten more about shooting the basketball than I'll ever know. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in with our Memphis Grizzlies specific experience. Again, this is Roger Galo. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Galo Method, uh, NBA offensive efficiency specialist, founder of the Galo Shot Making Method, featured on ESPN Radio, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report. This dude's the real deal. Parker, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to start with the bad news, and then we're going to get into the good news. Uh, the bad news is there are several Grizzlies underachieving from the three-point line in particular, but just in general with their shot making, and we're going to break down what's happening with them first. So I'm going to have Roger do his kind of generic breakdown of what he's seen. Parker, by all means, feel free to come in with any follow-up questions. I'll do the same and then we'll move on to the next name. So we got two guys here in the first segment, and we'll have two guys in the good news section in the second segment. So Roger will begin with, interestingly enough, the subject of our question of the day. Uh, there are four players that I identified from looking at the Grizzlies' current splits. And again, the Grizzlies are overachieving. They're having a tremendous season for where they're at in their rebuild. But to quote the great Nate Chester, you can criticize – when things are not going well. You didn't laugh as hard as I thought you would at that one, Parker. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's, that's a little inside baseball. Sorry there, Roger. So um, <laughs> we, we got Dylan Brooks, who is shooting 32.7% from three on 4.8 attempts per game. But I think it's fair to say that's not too far outside of the realm just, of what's realistic for him. Just to jump in on Dylan Brooks, I mean, we're also talking about the same dude who missed the early part of the season Correct. because he had a hand injury. Right. So, like, I, I want to go to black there. I, I would agree, and our voters did as well. I don't know if you saw the results yet, but our voters did too. Um, then we have DeAnthony Melton, who's shooting 31.8% from three on roughly the same amount of attempts, 4.7. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., who is shooting 31.1% from three on 5.6 attempts per game, which more volume there, of course. And then Brandon Clark is shooting an abysmal 22.2%. But in fairness to Brandon, I think he kind of knows that he's struggling from there. He's only taking half a shot per game from beyond the arc. So that works out to what? One three-point attempt every two games, something along those lines. So those were our four options. And thanks to the over 220 folks that voted, the, the lead vote getter was DeAnthony Melton in terms of being the most concerned about his three-point struggles this season. And Roger, I'll be honest with you, one of the things that I was most excited about 
with DeAnthony Melton's progress last season was it looked like he had figured it out. Like, oh my gosh, he is this three-point threat. He's a guy, at, he's only a year older than John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. The Grizzlies have stumbled into this defensive savant who can also hit the three. He's undersized, but he's got great length, good value contract. This is fantastic. He started the season strong, but he's really struggled these last couple of months, and it's brought down his percentages a decent amount. When you watch the Anthony Melton, Roger, what do you see in terms of his struggles from beyond the arc? Well, with, with the Anthony, I've noticed that he, he and some of this is connected to the great athleticism some of these players possess, and that athleticism can almost – be detrimental in in a, a jump shot and the further out you are shooting that jump shot the the more they can be impactful uh in a negative way um it's, it's like the carpenter's rule have you ever heard of the carpenter's rule if you're only a quarter of an inch off from a foot away if you move 10 feet out you're a lot more than a quarter inch off absolutely so that the little flaws or challenges he has within his shooting technique or form or body movements uh, are going to probably rear their head most in long distance shooting. Uh, and with him, he, he has a tendency to allow his feet, or uh, I would even say a good part of his lower body to get out in front of him, um, land, forward of his upper body and that's not generally a good thing not only is it a a little more conducive to injuring oneself upon the landing because you may be landing on somebody's feet in front of you and twisting an ankle or rolling one and, and we all know how bad that can end um, but he also has um a little bit of a misalignment issue from what i've seen from afar now i haven't broken down video that I would normally take of somebody from specific angles that I need to to do a, a complete, you know, thorough assessment. But from afar, from TV land, for, for all intents and purposes, those are it, those are big issues. Um, and and uh, he he uh, he has to overcome or control more of that movement than what he's probably aware of currently in order to to get to to improve that shooting percentage. Uh, by the way, when he does that, it's likely that because he's got a little bit of an issue with his guide hand, it's likely that his not only will his three point shooting improve, his foul shot will improve too. And I think he's in the seventies, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. Um which is almost where uh, you know, those numbers kind of fall in line, you know, 70% foul shooter roughly is probably going to be about a 30, 31 to 3% tree ball shooter. And, and conversely, the other way around, generally speaking. But he's got some upside because of that. And, and when he achieves that, that improvement, if he can, he, he's going to be even a bigger asset to, to the program. No, no question because of what you alluded to earlier. 
Go. Yeah, he, he's a 72.2% free throw shooter is that what right he is? now. Yeah. Yes, sir. But I, I think that that lines up with what you just said. I would agree. And and it, it, that's just really interesting insight. There's so much, you know, it's almost like one fluid motion of a puzzle moving all together. It's really interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, Parker, do you got anything further uh, for D-Melt with Roger here? Um. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. So I, I'll say – uh, I voted for D'Anthony Melton just because of what he did last year as a shooter and what he started out this year as a shooter. I really mm-hmm. thought that along with Desmond Bain, I thought he was going to be the other guy that breaks out. And I think the big concern with D'Anthony Melton that is, and Joe, chime in if I'm wrong, but if D'Anthony Melton's not shooting the ball well, his ceiling has and his floor have the biggest gap of those other guys that you mentioned. Absolutely. Like, if the jumper's not there... Once everyone's healthy, he could be with Santee's little helpers. Um, hmm. He could be out of the playoff rotation. He could be easy trade bait. But if not, if the jumper's on like it was last year, then, I mean, he's a guy that you talk about as that like six-man bucket getter type. And one thing I want to ask Roger is just that this struggle, you know, he's struggled a little bit over the course of the season, but it really started to hit once he's come back for from health and safety protocols. So just how, how much do you think like COVID conditioning could have a play into it? With his jump shot, is that affecting kind of like uh, his mechanics, the amount of the the amount of lift he's putting on his jump shot? Have you gotten to notice any sort of uh, trend with, you know, having COVID and um, jump shot conditioning? You know, I I have to say very candidly, no, not not really. I I am a big even more now than ever because I my frame of reference is having shot more similarly even to him you know i mentioned the other guys that i may have shot more similarly to but they all we've all been exposed to the same kind of training the same kind of movements that we're trying to achieve or or succeed with and there's a disjointedness i've come to understand having done that and then having achieved what i'm achieving with an entirely different series or sequence of movements, they're much more fluid. And I'd have to say it's more mechanically based. Now, with that being said, though, um, it's remarkable how once your shot starts falling, you're, you're grooving your jump shot and it's working again, however way you shoot, man, it, it has a, psych, a psychological impact on one's overall performance that can they can transfer over to other areas, attacking the basket, uh, becoming more of a playmaker because you just feel like you're you're set you're able to set things up more easily sometimes because they've got to respect you differently. They've got to play you differently. But I I'd argue that the mechanics are his biggest challenge. Um, uh, and and you mentioned something which is interesting: the lift. Well. James Harden doesn't have a lot of lift to his jump shot. Now he's not a great shooter, right? But he shoots a lot of, but he shoots a lot of threes. That's he's not true. A freakishly, mm-hmm. He's not a freakishly athletic player, but man, does he go to the foul line a lot? Doesn't he? Mm-hmm. How does he entrap people like that? Not he's very that crafty gifted. with his handle, and he's when he gets crafty. contact at the basket, yeah. Yeah, he's very crafty. So imagine what this gentleman could do if if he got things rolling, fix some of that 
address some of those mechanically related issues and started feeding that psyche of his at his age. How much of an impact player could he become? I think the upside is, is huge. I, I almost but, have. But I think that about a lot. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're I fine. think Go that ahead. about a lot, a lot of the roster <laughs> that the Memphis team has. Sure. <laughs> I mean, they got quite a few promising young players here. Yeah, second or third youngest team in the in the NBA. It's almost like oh, having the yeah, yes, sir. It's almost kind of like having the yips, right? Like in baseball, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, not being yeah. able to break through that mental issue. And and obviously, baseball players, it's an extremely mental game. But basketball is an underrated mental game in that way. And I do think that's an interesting point. Uh, the the other bad kind of example or bad news. Uh, is was our second place vote getter. De'Anthony Melton finished with 51% of the vote in the question of the day poll. For the record, I voted for Brandon Clark just because 22.2 is really bad. Um, but uh, I, I, but that was also 7%, and that's not what Brandon's doing really well. Brandon, you could argue, he's playing better than he did in his rookie year. Brandon's fine. Uh, I just wish he would make some threes. But that's neither here nor there. The, the yeah. second place finisher uh, was Jaron Jackson Jr., and Jaron is interesting because he's so young. He's 22 years old. He's six foot 11, almost seven feet tall. He has one of the most unique three-point shots at the release, Roger, that I think I've ever seen. And I'm sure with all your studies, you probably have some comps. I struggle thinking of comps for, for Jaron Jackson Jr. With his current struggles, uh, I think he's shot maybe 34 35% uh, in his sophomore and freshman or rookie campaigns uh when you look at his release what he may be struggling with is it difficult to pinpoint where his issues are because his shot is so unorthodox or do you think you can kind of see what's going on with jaron this this one is this one is going to make some people's heads spin i think um because of his size his length his he he's predisposed to becoming and this is true of most big men, they're more predisposed based on my studies and findings and discoveries um, to becoming very good, stable shooters from from the perimeter. Uh, A, they're they're not really feeling as threatened as a six-foot, two-inch guy is that far out, no matter who's guarding them, even another seven-footer. Because of mobile, he's pretty mobile, but most seven footers might not be as mobile. Most seven footers might not be as quick a foot. But so there's a, there's some huge advantages to for him to become a much more important three point shooter and contributor to, to the organization than he is currently. With that being said, though, he's it's interesting that he's. Um, like a pretty darn good foul shooter and yet a pretty well below par much below average three-point shooter and just for a point of reference for the audience he's shooting 83.2 percent from the free throw line so about 10 or 11 percentage points better than melton right and, and that would suggest that he should be probably in the mid, at least the mid 30s, rather than uh, 31% or 30% from the three. Um, so he's got some things. He's got some things that are working, 
but I, I, it, I'm wondering about his timing issues. Uh, that's probably a little more um, of an issue than he probably is aware of. And it, big men aren't usually susceptible to timing issues, but timing issues don't only come from jumping. They come from the higher or the upper body extremities too, meaning the extremities being the two arms. And he's got a seven foot, what, four or five inch, he's got a pretty good wingspan, like a 747. So th that could be a little bit in here, the timing of that movement, those upper body components, um, and then the release. What did you What did you notice about his release specifically that caught your 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 eye, Parker? It, it, yeah, Parker. It, it just looks to me, and I know we've talked about this before. It just looks like he he's rapid fire out of his hands. You know, it just looks almost like it's almost too it's too quick. Yeah. And I was and I was going to ask you, Parker. On top of that, the we've talked about how he people say that he's grown in the last year, like he's still growing. Maybe that feeds into what Roger's been talking about him. He's still getting used to his new body in a way. Yeah, and you kind of see that on his drives as well. Um, you you know, I, I, I've said it before. I, I never want to be one to, you know, uh, critique uh, someone else. Not cause, I mean, I don't have near the amount of knowledge as Roger has, but I, I always feel uncomfortable critiquing NBA players' jump shot just because it's kind of a weird middle line for me. Um, but, um, but that saying, I've, I've noticed that sometimes on a lot of Jaron's shots, like you're right, Joe, there's a little bit of a rush to it. And when he rushes, he pushes. There's not that fluid up and down motion. It's just almost like a line drive to the basket. Um, and also when he does that push his body, instead of going with an up and down motion, it's just going like forward where mm. instead you should correct me if I'm wrong, Roger, but as from my experience growing up playing ball you try to want to be up and down into a forward motion not like where your body's kind of slanted or forward slanted a little bit and you're pushing your shot and i feel like that's sometimes that could lead to a lot of jaren's three-point struggles like when he has more of that fluid motion it it's a good shot and i i don't know i i just i want to notice like that's a good point it could be he's growing i'm not too sure that's just kind of where i stand on it there's a lot of push going what? on you're uh and and when he's combining a push with 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 what you're suggesting he's doing and it's very common for players to do this any size player uh to to gain speed or even some distance or a combination of the two with a quickening of the wrist action and um f for those listening I i've got a little bit of a, a bulletin here to get out there <laughs> the weakest, most unreliable, finicky part of our entire shooting system is from the wrist to the fingertips. Now, when when players start emphasizing or speeding up or tampering with that area, they're inviting inconsistency. I mean, they're inviting it. Um, which is one of the reasons why I de-emphasize as much as you, I can on any player that level of responsibility assigned to that part of the shooting movements. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's tw- there's five fingers. They're all different lengths. They're all very small with small joints. Uh, you're asking them to perform in unison. That's hard in and of itself. <laughs> no, sure. Without the other movements that are attached to it by virtue of attempting a shot while somebody's attempting to prevent you from taking the shot. Right. You're doing all this in live action. And like Parker was kind of alluding yeah. to the fact that you're doing it, you know, with like a 610 person in front of you reaching out their massive hand. You know, there's there's obviously a higher level to the NBA game. And we respect yeah. that, of course, but we, we are content creators here. So we, we do have to have <laughs> these conversations. We're going to take a break here. We're going to come back with Roger Galo. We're going to end on a positive note. We've been critiquing. We're going to be positive with one guy who we all can agree we hope will hold on to that three-point shot that he's discovered this season. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Joe Monax, joined by my po- co-host, excuse me, Parker Fleming, and our guest at this time, Roger Galo, at Galo Method on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there. He's done tremendous work for us on this show, but he does tremendous work through his Galo shot-making method. Again, he's an NBA off- offensive efficiency specialist. He's been featured on ESPN Radio, CBS Sports, Bleacher Report, Follow him at Galo Method. We're going to get you out of here on this, Roger. Got less than 10 minutes left. We're going to save your save some more positivity for another time because I think I can speak for Parker here. I definitely want you back on maybe closer to the playoffs and we can revisit some of these things and see if they've improved or not, maybe even take a closer look at, at somebody like a, yeah, like, like a Desmond Bain who is really good at three-point shooting and maybe break down how he does it. But I want to focus on John Morant, hashtag NBA All-Star, hashtag John Morant. I don't think it works that way, right, Parker? I, I can't do it vocally <laughs> through podcasts. Uh, I can't vote that way. Yes, we can confirm that. Just tweet it with the link. Okay, tweet it with the link. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. See, Park, Parker's younger than me, Roger, so he helps me with my uh, technological okay. issues. Yes. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. I digress, obviously, a little bit in jest there. Uh, John Morant is doing a phenomenal job this season in so many ways, but I think one of the things that I'm most excited about, because I think it makes him truly unguardable, is his three-point shooting. He is currently shooting 35.8% from three, and that doesn't sound phenomenal because it's not, but it's, it's roughly league average. And if one of the most explosive athletes in the NBA with one of the most underrated handles in the NBA can blow past most defenders whenever he wants, can shoot the league average from three, he is unguardable, in my opinion. So, Roger, I just wanted to get you out of here on what is John Morant doing that is maybe different than he's done in the past? Is it just, you know, growth? He's clearly working on that aspect of his game. When you look at his three-point shot, why is he having this much more success than he's had in the past in the NBA? Uh, you know, I've, I've noticed the improvement, and I, I, I've noticed a deliberateness behind his shot attempts from out there. Um, and, and that's a that's a that's something that I hadn't noticed with him before. And by the way, I followed him because he is one of my favorite players. Uh, coincidentally, he's um, everybody's because, favorite player, yeah, Roger. He, Everybody loves Job ja right? Morant. He's fantastic. Uh, and, and, be, and and I fell into that group too. It's obvious why you'd like this guy. And uh, being able to be that unguardable at that level, again, the upside is. Uh, 
I feel at my age I could take a shot against somebody in the NBA anytime I want, almost. Now, what do you think he's going to feel like when he starts knocking down a 40, 40-plus 40 percent at, at that kind of a clip from the three-ball range? Because you can't stay with him. His handle's too good. Now, with that being said, uh, I think the upside still exists because he it's almost like he still has a little bit of a windup. And, and, and uh, as you duly noted, you know, it's not great three-point shooting, but when it becomes better and, and it gets to that next level, uh, his other the other stuff he's so capable of doing currently is just going to become that much easier for him to do <laughs> as he matures and develops in this league. So the upside is unbelievably high. Uh, but I, I, he's got a little bit of a lower set point than I'd like to see him maintain. But look, right now it's working for him. Um, and, and we hope, it, of course, that it continues to work for him. But I think in the future, you'll see that adjustment. I'd like to think that that adjustment is going to happen. Uh, he's going to develop a higher release point, which will not make him shoot like a six foot three inch person. It'll make him shoot like he's six six. Now, imagine that when you're yeah. walking around or playing this game as if you've grown three or four inches and all you've done was gotten a better technique together, a, a faster form together. It fires me up, Roger. Uh, I can tell you that. Parker, he shot 33.5% from three his rookie year. He shot 30% from three last season, and he was really good last season, and he was not as good from three. This year, again, career year, that's been well-documented and will continue to be well-documented in just about every statistical category, but his three-point shooting jumps off the page to me. I think that when you get into the playoffs, Parker – it's easier when the game slows down and you're able to game plan and practice specifically for one opponent. You can take away what that guy is best at. And John Morant is still best at attacking the rim off the dribble. A lot of the Grizzlies offense is built around that. John Morant yeah. adding a, even an average three-point shot screws over. Unless you're an elite defense, like the Utah Jazz are, Golden State Warriors, the second-round mm -hmm. teams that Memphis may see, Parker, I, I think that the, the, all the things that Jaw is doing are awesome. I have been critical of his defense in the past. He is stepping up on the defensive end. I have wanted to see him take over games more offensively in terms of scoring. He has very clearly done that. There is very little to critique in John Morant's game at this moment. That's one of the reasons people say he's an MVP candidate. However, I think that what I am most excited about, Parker, is that three-point shot because it makes them tougher in a seven-game series against the likes of a Utah, Phoenix, or Golden State. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw that last year in the playoffs. Even though they got bounced in five games, he still averaged 30 points a game in that series, and that's something that we're, we've never seen. From I think the closest guy we had to that was uh, Mike Conley in 2017 and then Zach Randolph uh, in 2011. Uh, but... Just ha you, and this is kind of like where I judge, you know, their um, playoff hopes. You know, I had stated being a little apprehensive to giving them a definitive ceiling because, you know, in the first round they're going to go up either against Luka Doncic, LeBron James, or Nikola Jokic, <laughs> and those are all MVP candidates, star level players themselves. But it's all going to come down to John Morant and how he handles. I mean, I know he can handle being the alpha, but, you know, being that guy that can score three levels and the guy that 
other teams are being like, well, crap, we got to face John Morant in a seven-game series. And the three-point right. shots played a bigger part in that. Uh, and I, I'm buying that. I think it's here to say, but I think one of the biggest things in it too, and one thing that Adams has really helped with is because of Adams' screening and yes. some of the areas that John Morant has made improvements in, especially with uh, pick-and-roll manipulation and just controlling uh, his downhill attack, he's also getting to that mid-range more. And when you look at guys like Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, uh, CJ McCollum, that's that's the bread and butter right there, man, because teams are going to try to take away the three and take away the paint. So if you can get in the mid-range, it's perfect. And I think John Moran's just becoming a bona fide three-level scorer that's capable of being a number one guy on a championship team. He is a freaking weapon is what John Morant is. I, I love watching John Morant play basketball. And I'm going to be honest, Roger, I have loved this conversation. Uh, we're, we're running short on time, but I'm, I'm so grateful that you've cut out some time for us. Like I said, we're going to do our best. I plan on having you back on closer to the playoffs. I want to talk to you about Desmond Bain uh, because I think his frame is so interesting and the fact he is an elite three-point shooter, uh, I find that all fascinating. Plus, as Parker can tell you, I love Desmond Bain. So just talking about Desmond Bain, I don't want to cut him short. We're, we're going to have you back on to take a look at Desmond. Thank you so much, Roger, for all your time and all you do. You do great work. Uh, make sure you guys are following Roger at Galo Method on Twitter. Can't stress that enough. He's fantastic. Roger, thank you, sir, for joining us. Gentlemen, thank, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this. Absolutely. Uh, Go so Grizzlies. for Ro- Go Grizzlies. <laughs> That's right. America's team, Roger. So for Roger Galo, for Parker Fleming, I'm Joe Molinax. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, subscribing to the GBB Podcast Network. Make sure you're following us uh, on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Google. However you listen to podcasts, make sure you're making our podcast network part of your Memphis Grizzlies fan experience. It's a fun bandwagon to hop on. Just hop on over, folks. We're having a blast over here with the Memphis Grizzlies. For Parker, for Roger, I'm Joe. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.